What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another installment of Heel Section. This is Rap Sparza coming to you live on tape. Uh, we have an amazing show for you guys today. Now, I know a few days ago, you guys heard an amazing two-part interview series with uh, our good friend, Eddie Witter, who told us a lot about a cool documentary he was in, his experiences. Um, couldn't be happier. However, Eddie tells me off air, and, and Mike, he says, I got another guy for you. And I was like, okay, well, who's this guy? And so he made it so that we would be able to interview somebody else from the documentary. And what was your first thought when I told you that, Mike? I, I didn't. It was. I didn't believe it. <clears throat> Why would anybody in their right mind want to talk to just two dudes like us? I mean, I don't know, dude. I don't. I don't try to push that as the uh, the thing to get people to come on. But well, lo and behold, it's a, it's a sense of it's a sense of humility. So <laughs> we'll just take it. Well, up a nod from there. Absolutely. But I'll tell you this much, guys. Uh, why don't we go ahead and get to know better? Uh, a good friend of Eddie is a good friend of ours. But let's get to know Jan Orstrom. Jan, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing very good. Thank you for having me on your show. Fantastic. We love having you on. I, I, we want to start right off the back. I mean, what is your first impression when you met Eddie? Like, where did you meet him? How did you meet him? Uh, my first impression looking at Eddie was that is a big dude. Uh, he is, you know, you've seen pictures of him. Uh, if you haven't been in person, that dude is, I mean, he's all muscle. It's, it's, uh, it's, he, he, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a brick, man. Uh, we met at, there was, um, we were doing a show out here in Texas. Uh, he was helping set up the, uh, ring and just kind of doing whatever, um, he could to, to see if he can be, uh, booked. And, uh, <clears throat> he, uh, you know, as pro wrestlers do, when you get to a, an arena, you, you shake everybody's hand, say hey. And uh, we were talking, and I noticed that he um, had a uh, army tattoo on his forearm. He has a, a sergeant tattoo on his forearm. And uh, I was a sergeant uh, in the army uh, as well. And so it caught my eye, and we just started talking about military, about pro wrestling, and it just it just clicked from the get go. Were you surprised that you found another person who? clicked with you in that way who who could share two very different worlds and and yet could speak that same language with you yeah oh no absolutely man absolutely i uh to be truth be told i've been i've been in the industry now well i started training 20 years ago but i, I only say 16 years because during my four years in the army i only wrestled maybe five times because i was always deployed so i don't really think it's fair to count that so well but what i was getting at those in my time in the industry, it wasn't really until the past couple of years that I had seen um, military veterans and uh, pro wrestling background. Um, so far, you know, for the longest time, I really thought that I was the only one, and now I'm seeing them out, uh, not out in droves, literally. And it was really cool. Um, it was really cool to connect because at the same time I met him, I was formulating and uh, brainstorming what would become uh, the Bahala Club documentary. And meeting him, uh, to me, I just took that as a sign in the right direction. Like, I got to push this thing forward, and I got to bring this guy on with me to do this. So you had thought about doing this documentary before meeting anybody else that was in the service? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the Probably the seeds of the documentary go back to, like, 2010. I, uh, I got out of the Army in, in 2006, and I was wrestling um, – California, Arizona, Texas, uh, and um, you know, I was during this time 
I was uh, not readjusting well back into society. I, I had uh, very bad uh, post-traumatic stress disorder from uh, the Iraq war. And uh, during also this time, um, I don't know if um, y'all are following this, but around this time, there was a, an unfortunate um, string that is still continuing, but it was really getting bad then of veterans taking their own lives. And it really like, it really hit me because a lot of these guys I would see on the news were like 19, 20, 21, one or two tours under their belt. And um, they came home and they would just have a hard, hard time. And I saw myself going down a lot of the same roads, just not, not handling stuff well. And uh, I was always constantly being interviewed by different TV stations about being a military, being the Iraq veteran, doing pro wrestling, stuff like that. Um, and I wanted, I just didn't feel it was the right message to convey this like Hulk Hogan, red, white, and blue, uh, Americana GI Joe, um, persona. I thought this was a topic that had to get tackled. I just didn't know how to do it and how to accurately portray the message that I wanted to make sure was reached. <clears throat> so, um, you know, every now and then something comes to my head when I'm working and um, you know, I'd say, oh, this would be great if I could do this in a documentary and, and whatnot. And um, eventually stuff started coming together and we started getting the foundation and then meeting Eddie and, and uh, John. Um, that, that's when it really started. Like tires were hitting the pavement and we were off. This is so fascinating that you guys uh, all get brought together. It's a, some kind of great fate. I, I have to just take a moment, though, to acknowledge one thing that you said. You're seeing more and more individuals who have uh, military experience who are coming into pro wrestling as wrestlers. Mm -hmm. uh, see, I don't, I don't know that yeah. that's a phenomenon. Uh, yeah. That's, that's interesting to me. Like how many are we talking? Because obviously one of the things that is interesting to talk with people who have been, uh, in the army or in the military period is just that they already have these interesting lives that they lead beforehand. So it is interesting to hear how those things start to collide and that world starts to open up. So, uh, like, how many people are we talking here? Well, let's see. Off the top of my head, I know WWE has two right now in NXT. Um, Impact had two. So, uh, and then, like, I know there's me, there's Eddie, there's Brazier. There's probably in the leagues I'm working at right now, there's probably another 12. Um, I don't know if there's any in the Ring of Honor. I, I think, I think, Flip, there, I think, I think one Flip Gordon might have been. Flip Gordon might have been in the middle. Terry. Yeah, that's what I was gonna. I didn't know if he was still with Ring of Honor though. Yeah, Flip Gordon. He he did. Uh, he was a military guy. Um, um, I know in California. I don't know if they're still working. But there's a tag team called Anchors Away. They were Navy guys. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely there. De it's definitely getting out there now, which is pretty cool. Um, it, it's it's actually really cool to see. It's really really cool to see. Absolutely. And we'll get to talking about the documentary in a minute, but I want a little bit about your, your background, your history. So what is it? When's the first moment that you know that you love pro wrestling? Oh, four years old, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I was, uh, I was growing up, I was living on, um, I grew up outside Chicago, Illinois. And, uh, when my mom was cleaning the house one day, she put on, um, WWFC superstars, um, for me to watch because I was just running around the house like crazy. And uh, first match I saw was Dusty Rhodes in the uh, the black and the yellow polka dot. 
um, took on some job or whatever, and, and I got hooked. And then later on that show, Hulk Hogan was on, and that was like, you know, the man uh, to see in the 80s. And it just, I just loved it ever since then. And that's, I knew, like, from a very young age, that's all I, that's all I wanted to uh, do with my life. And uh, when I, I moved to uh, California when I was uh, 12, and when I was in high school, I was uh, searching for wrestling schools while everyone else was searching for colleges. And um, lo and behold, uh, about 20, 20 miles from me uh, was a school of hard knocks ran by Jesse Hernandez. And uh, so at 16, um, I got my dad to sign the waiver for me to, uh, to go on the stipulation that I had to pay for my own training and my gas out there and all anything wrestling related, I had to pay for it. He wasn't going to help me. So I don't know uh, if you did that on purpose, but when people are looking for colleges, you were looking for schools, and the one school you just so happen to run into is the School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> it can't be like any like just like academy. It has to be called. Yeah, here's your school. Everything just seems like <laughs> to fall in your hands just like so perfectly. <laughs> it is weird, right? It's, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> but isn't it refreshing oh, though that you <laughs> that you know that though because. There are certain, I mean, I think I can't speak for everybody, but there are certain guidance counselors who are like, well, college or, you know, trade schools are cool, you know, like you can do that. But if you know exactly what you want to do, it it creates a certain kind of focus for you. So uh, that is your college by all intents and means, you know, that's where you're going to put in your dues to become uh, the person you, you want to become. So. Uh, what happens after you you start doing that? Your dad tells you, you know, you got to be accountable for yourself. What are those first sessions like when you are going? Oh Lord, those first sessions were crazy. Um, you know, this, it was. Uh, I was in there. Um, I don't know how well y'all know some of this wrestling history, but like, um, there was people like Bobby Bradley, um, Bo Cooper, um, Rico Constantino. Rico was getting ready to go to uh, WWE at the time. Chris D. Daniels was there, but then he was getting ready to leave and go do more indie stuff. Um, but all these, you know, these like known names that were there. And for, for a long time, it was just three times a week of me just getting tossed around this ring, like a rag doll, learning how to fall, right. Um, getting chopped, getting kicked, you know, learning to do all this. My body was uh, black and bruised uh, all the time. And it was, uh, it was weird because I didn't like, it hurt. It, it hurt a lot. Uh, but I, I never thought about this hurts too much to quit. Like I just kept going back in there for, for, for like a, pretty much, uh, you could say it's a stupid move. Like, cause I would get the wind knocked out of me and I get right back up and I go right back in and they would just put me through the grinder again. You know, um, that was a fun, fun time. It was, uh, it really made me, um, have to dig in and, and determine if this is what I really wanted, but I, it is. And I didn't, I didn't look, didn't look, um, didn't think twice about it. And then, you know, not too long after that, um, then other people like Joey Ryan, Sky Andrews, Brandon Gatson, like Scott Loss, like all these people who are now like names in the indie scene, like they started going through. And then I had the fortunate, I was fortunate enough to like train with them like way back in the early SoCal days, right before like PWG started and all that. So it was a school hard knocks was an amazing experience. And the training is a, is a second to none. It was, I, I, it, I can't speak enough about it. And Jesse as a mentor. Yeah. I was saying out there how somehow I'm related to my family lineage. You know, how it gets kind of jumbled on your mom's side back in the day, but 
Yeah, he has quite the pedigree. So if anybody's going to be top from, I mean, especially from the old school, if he's um, <clears throat> right when the forefront when WrestleMania first started. So beginning that kind of knowledge, it's kind of like an, an almost like an advanced course. So especially back then, I was wondering how oh, yeah. that mentality. I was wondering how that mentality transferred over into your military training. Did it make it easier since you had already been put through the ringer? With, you know, taking your bumps and bruises and having to, you know, get back in there with the wind knocked out of you. You think that made your military training easier or it was kind of would it be harder on the same end because it's just such a different different aspect? Uh, well, it didn't it, like mentally, uh, it mentally it, it, the pro wrestling training had made me harder because um, it was it, so it, like I. A lot of the process stuff when it came to, I'm sorry, a lot of the military stuff when it came to like tumbling and, and going through obstacle courses, I know the guy, physical training going through what you're going through with, with Jesse, like it, it wasn't that big of a, a deal. There were some parts that were crazy intense. Don't get me wrong, but you know, by and large, like I was already in the mindset. I had a, I had an aura of self-confidence. So I'm like, I can handle this. Cause if I, I literally got knocked out by a 300 pound dude. And now all I gotta do is, you know, run through this obstacle course top speed is like i got this this is not a problem you know well that's why i always wonder when you guys watch uh stuff like ninja warrior if you're just kind of like okay cool good job everybody you did something you know what i mean like to me it just looks like oh okay these goofballs are gonna bounce off things but if y'all have done like actual legitimate training i always feel like oh man does that just look like a playground to them do they even care about that anymore i'm just thinking how hard it would be it. to resist a collar and elbow tie-up during any kind of like combat training like one-on-one <laughs> well you're not you're not wrong on that you're, you're definitely <laughs> not wrong on that but i will say i, I do look at the ninja warriors though i just look at it like a big playground like it's just fun fun thing to do but i will say in the um true story in the um when we're doing hand-to-hand in the army uh, I caught a guy off guard and I almost DDT'd him like out of instinct because his head was right there and I had my arm wrapped in the guillotine and it was just at the very last second my body was like, no, don't drop back. Like, otherwise I was going to plant this dude like right on his head. No lie though, uh, there is a very real thing. I do jujitsu and uh, one of the things I always struggle with and people have told me this by and large, they say whenever I'm doing a standing guillotine, I am known to slap someone across their back <laughs> and I tell them it's awesome. not my fault. And I have been conditioned to do that as a warning sign of being a good training partner. I'm just saying, Why you... uh, ask him, ask him. I've never, I've, you know, what? I've always, I've joked about it. I've said, you know, we're going to implement more like ask them and, you know, I've always told people, I'm like, there's a science that shows that if the singlet straps are down, you gain more power. Uh, like tons of stupid pro wrestling uh, acumen from doing it, but but there is crossover. So I, let me ask this though, because I, I'm I'm interested to know, you know, what is it that makes you go into the military? Because you know, with Eddie, it, it was very much like a call to duty. It was like something he felt uh, he had to do, and and it did tie into September 11th with him. Um, I know that you were training. Uh, and I, I know I don't know exactly the timeline because you said you've been doing it. You don't say for 20 years, but 20 years would put us at about 1998. So it's a little pre 9-11, but, but how does that timeline go? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was training. Um, 
uh, just training, doing math. I was working for the school of hard knocks. Like I um, was doing EWF shows. I was working uh, like people like Ricky Reyes, Rocky Romero, TJ Perkins. Like we were doing all that SoCal stuff. Uh, and then um, I was the uh, American champion there. And I was the American champion uh, when September uh, 11th happened. I was in college too, uh, going to uh, uh, art school. I figured um, well, I was going to get my degree in graphic design, and uh, I, you know, just like everybody else, they start out like any other, and those events happen, and it really, uh, it really hit me, uh, and it hit me a couple different ways. One, I come from a long line of uh, family members who had served. My uh, my grandfather was a um, he was a uh, Norwegian, part of the Norwegian resistance when the Nazis came over. Hmm. And uh, he, then he went with the British down and fought the Nazis at the end of World War II. I have a lot of family who were like POWs at different parts of different wars and whatnot. Um, um, and also, on the wrestling standpoint, I was supposed to be going to Japan and Mexico and all of that. And when 9-11 happened, like all of that stopped. Uh, Japan, nobody was flying talent in and out. Europe, same thing. Uh, and watching, you know, those events uh, happen, I really uh, went into deep thought, and I just had this like, um, I don't know, whatever pit your stomach or you know, the universe, however you want to look at it, was telling me that this is something I have to do. Um, and so I talked to Jesse and decided to put the dream uh, of going to WWE on hold for a little bit and uh went and um enlisted into the army excuse me uh for four years and i i wanted to make sure i got stationed in europe because uh, i wanted to go wrestle in europe and get the experience and train there uh so that was that was it i left uh i started training at 16 left at the age of 20 um came back at the age of 24 and you know just went right back to it went right back to it hard okay so now, did you did get stationed in Europe then, yes? I did, yeah. I was in Germany. Okay. And part of that, you know, you were hoping and it was, you know, with intention of getting to train out there. Did you get to do that? I, I did. Very little bit, though, because I was always getting sent somewhere. Uh, I probably, I mean, seriously, I only got to train maybe a dozen times. Uh, I got to work a handful of shows. And it was fun. It was It was really, really fun. And the... The organizations out there were very, very nice. The fans were awesome. Um, I just didn't get to go into as much uh, as I wanted to because I come home for 30 days and then I had to get sent somewhere else. And it was, uh, to put in perspective, my four-year enlistment, uh, I saw my, my daughter who was, she was born in the end of my first year. So uh, of my three years that she was around me, uh, I only saw her for 15 months out of those three years because I was always gone somewhere. That's that's so tough. I am I am both surprised and uh, happy that you were able to get that kind of training because uh, you know comparatively, just from what we know from Eddie's story, it was just kind of like he didn't really get to do it. And I think it's cool that you knew right away that that was part of the dream, and you were training, and you go to you know serve your country, and then even doing so, you get the ability to to do it. I think the thing you're alluding to is is it's hard to describe a full vibe when you're only kind of in and out of it but that's still a really cool experience to have at that young of an age to have been able to work over there train do those sorts of things 
Um, did that help you at all build with learning a, a different style in a different country in your overall kind of uh, wheelhouse? Uh, yeah, I would say it did because the the uh, European style is very, very, you know, like, shoot, like William Regal-esque uh, from back in the day. It's very, it's stiffer. Uh, it's definitely more solid. Um, and the, the mechanics and the philosophy behind different move sets is, is a little bit different than was taught in uh, the United States. And so it was really cool um, to see how they do that. And we're seeing it now nowadays, if you see like uh, who's a Dune and Bates and mm -hmm. a couple of other people from uh, Great Britain, like their, uh, their mechanisms and how they move in the ring is, is really fun to watch. And that was kind of a cool thing, not having experienced that before to go in and try to learn that is, it was really humbling. The international <clears throat> school of hard knocks just kind of just seemed to follow you no matter where you go. I think that would be a hard toggle to, um, with the lack of physical training, like you said, getting your reps in and doing shows and stuff, um, what did you do to keep that dream or that drive like containable that you still knew that that's something you were going to do like on your off time? Oh, I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I pretty much, um, went to the gym as much as I could. Uh, you know, I mean, they're big on doing stuff like ruck marches and whatnot. So I was always, out there with like loaded rocks, 70 pounds, 80 pounds, whatever, you know, strengthening the legs. Um, about halfway through my enlistment, when I was in Iraq, uh, they, on our base, they started boxing and, uh, and the guy, he wasn't the best at jujitsu, but he knew the basics. And so he was teaching all the soldiers for free, he held classes, whatever. So I got kind of into that. Uh, I felt it was a good way to stay in shape, uh, stay limber. Cause I still wanted to go to Japan and I know Japan is big on, you know, more of the MMA style of striking and, and holes and whatnot. So I thought it would be a good, um, good experience for me to learn. And then when I got back from Iraq, I just got really heavy into boxing and, um, uh, conditioning and, um, was prepping for my, my trial. Cause I knew coming out of the army, I was going to get a trial with WWE. I had met them in, uh, Iraq at the tribute to the troops. And I had pleaded pretty much pleaded for a tryout. And the person I ended up pulling out of the uh, crowd just to uh, talk to my, you know, uh, plead my case was John Laurinaitis. <laughs> and uh, he was, Johnny. he was all day. Yeah. Johnny. Uh, and he was all down for it. And he was true to his word. And he's when you get out, call me and I'll give you a tryout. And oh, wow. sure enough, he did. So. Yeah. How many people were you looking for? Like on base to cut a match with just to put like five, 10 minute match together with, was that, <laughs> Did you actually ask people to help you cultivate? Uh, well, not like I, 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 help, I, I had people be like, Hey, let me throw you on my shoulders. Let me see if I can still do this move. Like I, I would do stuff like that. I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel comfortable like saying, okay, this is how a match would go. Like follow my lead because you no, know, in my luck, I get dropped on my head and then the whole thing's done. <laughs> Well, there's definitely a great moment where you're like, especially if you get the person who goes, let's just call in the ring. You're like, wait, no, 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 no. Uh, you know, I don't know you like that. I don't know your training. But like, oh, dude, come on. We're doing combatives. It's just going to be like a drop say Nagi yeah. uh, straight into like what? Fireman's carry. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. You what? What are you talking about? Uh, I just yeah. like the idea that uh, we have a, a saying when we're doing jujitsu moves. Um, uh, that if I land a pro wrestling move, I usually just like call somebody and I'm like, can somebody verify this? And they're like, Oh, good single leg Boston crab ref. Thank you. 
Thank you. I just like verification. <laughs> I don't have to embarrass you in front of other people. So at that time, when you're doing it, are you continuing to do uh, that? Like, is it hard to go to boxing of all things, too? Where I know you want to learn the striking element of it, but it's like, does your brain ever just go pull punch? Don't pull punch. Shit. Boxing. What? Ah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I've been boxing for 12 years now and my instructor in the army and then the, the, my instructor for the past five years here, uh, same thing. They're like, why are you pulling your punches? Like they always get on my case about it. I'm like, I just, it's just what I do. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I'm not trying to knock this guy in. Like, no, it's boxing. <laughs> nope, nope. It's still the exact point of what we're trying to do here. Um, okay, so that uh, first of all, you you dropped this great bomb of you got this tryout with WWE. What was that experience like? Because so many people dream of getting that experience, and then it doesn't always happen for everybody. But to those who do. Um, there is a certain kind of feel and a vibe. What was that for you? Oh man, it was, I'll tell you, it was, it was crazy, uh, on, on many different levels, like on a personal level, you know, growing up telling people all you want to do is be a pro wrestler. Not too many people get on board with that. <laughs> um, I know. And there was a lot of people who were friends of mine that, uh, were friends in my face, but they did not want me to succeed. If that makes sense. Um, and so a lot of people tried to hold, hold me back and, you know, in any kind of different way, like they wanted to go party and I want to go to the gym. They wanted to eat like crap and I couldn't because, you know, you, you can't, you, if you want to look good in the ring. Um, so on that level, like it was proving everybody wrong who tried to get in my way. And that was humbling. Uh, it was insanely nerve wracking because this was something, so that was in, 2007 is when I got my tryout when they put me on. So that was, shoot, how old was I? I was 20, I was 26. So as I said, being a fan since I was four, so that's 22 years you've waited for something that now you're there. Um, and as a little more intense, like, so you, you know, you go in there. First of all, the, the, my tryout was the week after the Chris Benoit tragedy. So, mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was really, I'm walking on eggshells like the whole time. Hmm. Um, but it was, it was eye opening to see like Michael Hayes, Arn Anderson, Malenko, Steamboat, like Flair, like all the people that I had looked up to was there. And then obviously seeing like Vince McMahon, uh, who I went out of my way to thank him for the opportunity and then tell him I, I appreciate him supporting the troops and all of that. Um, and then, you know, them to tell me like, yeah, you're going to go on raw and you're going to, get squashed by crime time so now i'm not in a dark match i'm not doing like security like i'm actually going to go in there and do something like it's it's it was very overwhelming i didn't eat the entire day uh because I, I couldn't i just was so excited and nervous at the same time and then it probably all pinnacled at that one moment you're you're in the gorilla and everything you've been waiting for is literally like on the other side of this curtain you know i'm hearing thirty thousand people in tucson like screaming and it's just a thin curtain me and then behind me is Vince on the TV, like giving me the cue to go out. Uh, it was, it was so, so surreal. It's something that nobody can ever take away from, uh, from that moment. It was, it was very cool. Yeah. It sounds like a, that sounds like a dream. The Hank raps is that that actually happened. That's like any, like that's my dream written down, like just imagining it. This is what we're going through. Let's be very clear though. Every part of that is awesome. And uh, 
Yeah. I'm glad that that is something that, as you mentioned, especially if you had haters, which, uh, listen, I don't know how much time haters have to invest uh, in anybody's downfall. But, like, I don't know that I generally have to love every single person, but I don't wish ill upon them. So uh, anybody who doesn't want to see you succeed, I think, would be foolish to begin with. But that's a pretty cool moment, man, that you would have the ability to, to go there. I just want to paint the scene just a little bit more because when you're talking about growing up and what you just described was essentially the four horsemen steamboat Vince. There's not a wrong impression to think of it as a dream element because you're looking at all these rooms. I mean, I just, I don't imagine Arn Anderson not being on a couch somewhere and just chilling with like a blight beer and, and, and not being who I think he is in my brain, but to see him in a functional working environment that gives new talent, uh, their ability to kind of shine. I think that's gotta be so freaking amazing. Let's, uh, let's continue here. So you get your, your opportunity to go there. How does that, uh, how does that go with crime time? Oh, oh, it went, it went amazing. Those, uh, um, Shad and JTG, they're, those guys are top-notch professionals. Very nice guys. Um, they, it was it was great. They they were talking to us about what they want to do, and uh, our agent for the match was uh, was Malenko and Arn. And so you know, I I'm in the ring with them. We're going over stuff, and you know, Malenko, D Malenko is like giving me tips on what he wants in the ring. And it's it's you, you try not to like space out. Like, oh my god, I'm really here. Um, and, you know, we went over it probably five or six times and, you know, they felt comfortable with it. I felt comfortable with it. It was not anything too crazy. Uh, and, um, you know, I knew there was a lot of eyes on me uh, because if you screw this up, you, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. If you screw it up, you're not coming back again. And I wanted to make sure that uh, they knew that I really wanted to be there. Um, so, you know, it's just after that, we probably had like four hours from the rehearsals to when we actually did it. And I probably... I'd be lying if I said I went over that, you know, any less than a hundred times in that four hours, just making sure I, w- I had everything down. Cause I know my, I did not want to be the guy over his own foot. I did not want to be the guy who, you know what I mean? Like pull something like getting in the ring, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, just, just focus and try to try to do this. You wait, you worked so hard and, and long to get here. Who is your tag partner? Uh, my tag partner was Brandon Gatson. He, uh, he came up through school hard knocks with me. He's, uh, one of my best friends. Uh, his brother is Jason Gatson, a U.S. Olympic team. Um, he, uh, when, when we got the tryout, um, Jesse brought, uh, Jesse was coming, uh, Jesse Hernandez went with me because he wanted to go say hey to Vince, talk to some of the people, uh, and he wanted to go support me. And he brought Brandon and, uh, Joey Ryan with me, uh, with him rather. And, you know, um, they ended up putting Brandon with me and, uh, and that, and that was that it was really cool. Cause Brandon was my first uh, tag team match. Right. Me and Brandon took on Ricky Reyes and Rocky Romero when they were, uh, Cubanitos way back in the day. So it was kind of like weird to see us now on this big, big level. Yeah. And, uh, cannot stress or emphasize how amazing that must be. So let me get this straight. You said, and I'm forgive me on the timeline here because, uh, I'm just trying to piece it all together, but you had mentioned that you were out of the army come 2010. Uh, no, 2006. 
2006. Okay, my apologies on that. So you come out of there, and I do see them, uh, you know, you get back to pro wrestling quite quickly after that because uh, you have a couple clips, one of which mm-hmm. is, like, that they're actually starting to advertise you as a combat vet. So that becomes part of your identity in pro wrestling uh, right away, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, there were... But uh, the best way to describe it is like this. So before I went to the army, the the Johnny Dynamite character, which is what I originally went by, uh, was more like a Hardy Boys style knockoff uh, character, high flyer. Hardy Boys meet rockers. That was the goal. Um, but I didn't feel like I felt I had outgrown that, but I didn't really know where else to go. And I felt if you look at all these great talents, Austin, Jericho, Rock, Michaels, um, you know, they're, they're just, um, over exaggerations of their own personality. And so I felt that I got to start kind of being me more. And so, uh, I, I was very proud of the combat, uh, thing. Um, and I wanted to, be, I wanted to be out there, uh, to show what, you know, veterans can do and, and whatnot, uh, military people can do. And so I, I, for a while I kept both Johnny dynamite and the combat veteran. And then I, eventually shifted to drop Johnny Dynamite and just go by my regular name uh, because, if you know, if you look at the military stuff, it's not under Johnny Dynamite. It's all under Jan Orstrom. So I just felt it's just time to be me, you know? Yeah, we, we made the um, – I don't want to call it a mistake, but we actually Googled Johnny Dynamite to see what would come up because it's such a – I don't know. It seems like it would be a, a standard name in some industries. And it was fascinating to find out that the country music team seems to support that uh, that moniker the most. My guess was wrong. I'm not going to go there. This is a family show. But, yeah, it's an, it's, I oh. think it was a good play on your part to, to go back to who you were. I mean, I, really I'm are. also going <laughs> to laugh. There was also a Johnny Dynamite Jr. And I was like, oh, my goodness. That that happened very quickly. Uh, Even his, his kids are in kayfabe. Yeah, <laughs> that would be amazing. And then I started wondering, I mean, like, when you mentioned that, uh, a couple of these had been brought up. Uh, You know, I saw one clip that looked like a kind of a backyard wrestling. So I guess the the question that I have to ask you, sir, is did you have kind of a tie-in to backyard wrestling? Um, I've seen those clips, too. Uh, Well, if it's the ones I've seen, that's not me. It's just some other person using the same name. But I will say, like, you know, just like many of us, we did do, uh, you know, get the friends together in the mid nineties chip in and get the pay-per-view rough house in the backyard. Like, uh, yeah, we did do that, but I never, I never got like the, the stuff you see on YouTube now. Never uh, went well, that I'm route. just, uh, first of all, I'm very glad of that because it became a little bit harder to delineate as we would go on. I was like, no, these kids aren't him. So that's good. But on the other side, uh, it is interesting when there's somebody who is credited as being in backyard dogs, who is also being billed as you. And I wonder to myself, uh, you know, it's good that you do drop the character because you want to not only go into your own self, but start to be able to tell people your own story, which is fascinating in its own right. So let's get into how this documentary comes to be, because I know that's a huge thing for you guys. I know it's, it's got to be rough to do because I know that you said you were, you were thinking about it for years. I actually, you were saying you were thinking about it all the way back to 2010. So if you're kind of tracing it back 
down, how did it get put together? It sounded like you were the creative force behind it. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah. Can we, can we jump on backyard dogs for a quick second though? <laughs> Uh, hold on. Is this I mean, a de- yeah, are you defend? If... Are we defending it, or are you going to digress? <laughs> no, 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 no. I just want to say that 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 was me. That was absolutely me. Nineteen-year-old Jan, first Hollywood film. Hold on. But that was a no, don't... that was a Hollywood movie, not like a, a backyard right. wrestling promotion. Okay. Right, I just let's, wanted to let's... put that out there. Crap. Okay. He's on IMDb. Come on, dude. <sighs> I yeah, I got. Them, I might have a. I have a fight scene with the original Black Power Ranger. I'm proud of that too. <laughs> Of course, you should, should lead be. with that. You should tell everybody that every single day in this day and age. Forget about Listen, it. Listen, kid, I'm not trying to say that you were 100% going to be a backyard wrestler, but if I'm somewhere on the dartboard, I think that should be the connection. I just like the idea that I was like, no, I didn't backyard wrestle. Okay, let's move on to the next part. Actually, I would like to clarify I was in a movie about backyard <laughs> wrestling. I just like the idea that you you do this movie. How is that experience like? Because uh, say you didn't do backyard wrestling other than just kind of horsing around with your friends. You're now doing kind of a take on it that's a fictional version of a fictional thing. What is that experience like? And also, uh, does the Black Power Ranger dance in this movie? Oh, I don't know if he danced. Because missed opportunity. I'll be be forthcoming. It's not that good of a movie. (laughs) Um, it's, you know, it was, so I was totally, the whole experience was just, I was just like, I'm in a movie. Like, that's all that mattered to sure. me is I'm in a movie. Um, you know, the, a couple, I'd probably say two months before we started filming, the director had brought, uh, Walter Emanuel Jones, the black power ranger and, um, Brie Turner, who was the uh, main female role, uh, in the movie. She was also in Deuce Bigelow male gigolo that was like uh her big claim to fame and then there's another guy too but i don't really remember too much of him but they brought him in to the wrestling school to get familiar with the ring because i didn't know this i thought that you know you're the power rangers you know how to fight but i didn't know that they didn't do any of that it was all stuntmen like he just did the acting so um him and i just worked together in the ring on the basics and stuff like that and we had pretty good chemistry so that's how the director ended up casting me and put me in there um it was it was interesting. The probably thing the biggest thing that caught me off guard was that we had to do that fight scene probably fifteen times. And like after the third one, I'm like, I, I thought well, I think we're good. Like I got it. Like we're good. And he's like, Nope, another take. And I'm like, Oh god damn it. <laughs> All right. And so uh but yeah, I mean it was just, it was just an eye opening experience and it was you know, it was a cool, cool thing to be a part of. Uh I still have this uh, notion that one day I wanna run into uh, Walter at one of these comic cons when he's signing autographs and have him sign the copy and be like, it's round two motherfucker. And then, you know, <laughs> see if, see if he recognizes me and then go for it. Wow. That's, that would be amazing. That I, I think you would need to 100% do that. I think we, we need to not have you we pay did. any part of it. We need to get like some sort of, uh, like, uh, connection to whatever comic con and be like, listen guys, we have the straight to Redbox sequel in the can you just have to let us fill it. <laughs> uh but uh the reason i bring up the dance is because if anybody like that's a kind of a common joke between me and a couple guys who do jujitsu there's like an opening credit sequence of the power rangers and i will put it in this uh embed of of this episode on our website but 
when they do like the opening credits and they show each person doing their thing and kind of their respective martial arts, there's essentially Zach, who he is playing, who does like this kia, like he's going to kind of like show that he's ready to fight, but it's essentially the dance move, the snake where he just kind of rolls his head and so all of us, at any given point, like, there's one guy in particular who I see him, and I'm like, you have to do that dance. You have to do the Black Power Ranger Kia. And he's like, absolutely. And without fail, he does it. So I feel <laughs> like, you know, he did a couple of years of that show, but I feel like that's the thing I remember most about that guy. And now I'm going to remember more about the fact that uh, you get to work with him. And I think that's great. But, okay, let's get back to the, the documentary. I like how we were like, Raph... Well, no, I think it was a perfect segue for the movie to go into the documentary. It's almost like another crash course in how a movie's done, almost. Like, what did you take away from the production of the highest-themed backyard dogs and roll it over into this to cultivate and make this uh, documentary become a reality? Um, I'll be lying if I said, like, I took one lesson from backyard dogs and <laughs> applied it anyway. <laughs> uh, um, but with, with the documentary, I'll say this, like, uh, I think the biggest thing that came out of the documentary for me from the business standpoint was that um, nothing goes as planned and I can totally understand. I, I don't even want to think about like big budget Hollywood stuff, but this was done shoestring budget. Uh, it took longer to shoot than we anticipated just because of scheduling issues. Uh, we had, uh, editing issues and it, uh, then there was, it was just a hurdle after hurdle that we had to, to go through. Um, but going from 2010, uh, coming forward here, um, it, it was just, uh, I had seen, it was a combo of stuff. It was a combo of, of me, uh, progressing in wrestling. And it was a combo of seeing, you know, military guys kind of getting out there and do good things and make names for themselves. And I still, I just felt as like, there's, there's a story here that I got to tell that I, I feel, I felt I need to tell. And I just couldn't like, I couldn't get around it. Cause I know a lot of people were expecting uh, a happy ending. Uh, a lot of people, uh, there's, there's some, I'll say miscommunication or misunderstanding about people come back from war. There's some kind of um, mantra of like, Oh, well, you, you know, you don't have a scratch on you. You're fine. You know, and that unfortunately is not the case. Um, there's also the, um, on the military side, it's like, well, you didn't leave the base that much. It's not, there's probably nothing you could have seen. And, you know, it's all kind of, it's all kind of um, uh, beating down or, or taken away from one's experience. And, I felt if I can wrap this up in the right package and tell this, it'll relate to people. And at the very least, hopefully people not necessarily understand, but just be like, Oh, I never thought of it that way. That, that kind of makes sense. Cause I, I don't want to, I didn't want to shove it down. Uh, people throw the like, you know, America, fuck. Yeah. Uh, hmm. and I didn't want to portray, uh, soldiers are weak because they're not. I, I, but I just, I had to tell the story, a complicated story in a very, uh, simple way as I could, um, you know, like one, one, uh, another hard part was bringing up our past experiences. Uh, right. and I was very, uh, home by Eddie and John, like opening up about stuff and, you know, I'd, 
stuff I didn't feel there's a lot of stuff that we put on a documentary that I've never told a lot of people. Uh, one thing that got cut from the documentary was uh, on June June 1st, uh, 2004, when my group was leaving the gate, a car bomb ran the gate and it killed 32 people. Uh, and they didn't kill any Americans. It killed a bunch of uh, Iraqi nationals who were trying to get on base to work for the day. But I mean, if you, uh, you know, you're 18 year old kid, 19 year old kid. And I mean, in my case, I was 21. Uh, you know, all of a sudden this happens, it's chaos, it's anarchy. There's, there's ripped up body everywhere. You know, um, it's stuff that stays with you. It's stuff that stays with you. And to talk about stuff like that is, is not easy. Um, and, uh, this is all stuff that I had to write down and plan and kind of discuss and, and say this is kind of what we have to we have to deep uh go to areas that we don't feel comfortable in and we have to put it out there with no reservation because this story kind of has to reach out because there is somebody in there who's going to watch this movie who hasn't told people about experiences they've been through and they're going to see this and they're going to feel more comfortable talking i would hope because they relate to something that has been going on you know um so we started filming in 2000 uh, 16, uh, with, there's a couple of leagues out here in Texas. Um, we, we shot a bunch of interviews, uh, a couple matches and, um, I linked up with, a, a director out here, um, Richard Bradley Morris. Um, he runs a small uh, film company called Royal Goblin and he's insanely, uh, pro veteran. His dad is a Vietnam vet. And so he's, it's kind of something near and dear to his heart. And so he, and I had a couple meetings and we started formulating stuff and uh, we started started making it work. Um, we got we were able to get Matt Hardy to do a little cameo uh, because Bryson, we were doing uh, Bryson uh, John's segment and he was doing a seminar with Matt and we got some stuff with him and, uh, you know, talk to family members and, you know, showing pictures of different stuff. And it was it was kind of a. Uh, a very interesting task to put this all together to tell a, a the right story. I mean, what a godsend for you to find Eddie when you did, though. You know what I mean? Because you were willing to take that on yourself, correct? Eddie and John. I mean, I mean that was going to be you were going to do this regardless. So for that, I would think meeting those two guys would have alleviated. I mean, I'm sure it's added stress with the stories and having to rehash all that. But how much easier and the timing of that. Did, did those guys like bring to the table? Oh yeah. No, no, it was, it was because the, that was another hurdle I had too, from the, the creative standpoint is I didn't, I didn't want to make it like all about me. I, I felt that was uh very dis. I, I took it as disrespectful. I, I thought if we can tell a few stories, um, it would be better. Uh, and you know, when Eddie's, uh, first opened up to me about um, some of the firefights that he had been in and, and losing so many of his friends and like how it, you know, it ate him up that he couldn't save people and, and all of that. That's, that's something that's really hard. And I, I would watch him get, you know, choked up. I watched him get angry uh, about it. And, and uh, you know, when John's uh, opened up and talking, he was telling stuff in the documentary that he hadn't even told his wife about uh, times where he almost got, you know, shot and, and whatnot. And, uh, you know, to, uh, to, uh, have, it also helped that we were not there at the same time. We were there at different, uh, um, 
eras of the of the war and so to cover that kind of ground uh, i definitely yeah it was it was it was a godsend it was so so good um for the story uh for reaching out to people um the iraq war was was different in different parts of it uh in 04 when i was there it was the it was one of the bloodiest years there uh 07 was the bloodiest year as a, ever in the iraq conflict and 09 when uh like john was there that was when this resurgence stuff was popping up and it was really volatile the whole uh area and you didn't know what to expect and so you know it was cool to kind of cover that so this is not just a, a 30 day everybody's together thing like we we kind of talk about over the years like how this this landscape changed and how it affected us and how the war shifted and how that you know in turn affected the service members that's super interesting to to get that kind of uh scope and i, I find that it, that is cool i didn't know that uh, that was part of it um in terms of I, I knew you guys weren't necessarily at the exact same time but sort of that kind of kismet of you do get to tell that story. You do get to tell one that goes over a certain amount of years. And one of the things that I think is so great about it is, and this is reflective of a lot of service members, but here in particular is you are mentioning how you want to pay it forward. You guys are here, but you're also trying to tell the stories in a larger scape for those who either cannot or maybe just kind of describe what is happening on behalf of other people who may not even be in that realm. So uh, for that, that aspect, mm. I think that is really cool. I didn't get to ask Eddie this when he was on, but I'm so intrigued. Have you heard back from any kind of military response on this? Because you mentioned that on the one level, not everybody's with you when you want to become a pro wrestler. And so though we do have military who loves pro wrestling, uh, I wonder, you know, if not everybody's going to say like, oh, yeah, I love pro wrestling, but I think they will rally behind what you're trying to do. Have you gotten any response from that? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, responses are definitely trickling in. We had a, a premiere um, out here in Waco at the uh, legendary Hippodrome Theater uh, about a month ago, and a lot of ex-military were there, uh, a couple guys, nom guys. Uh, gave me a big hug uh, after the premiere and told me uh, how powerful it was to see the documentary and thank you for doing that. Um, we've gotten a couple emails from people. Uh, I've sent a couple copies to some people who are stationed uh, overseas and stuff, and and they've said some pretty good things about it. Um, so yeah, it's it's been it's it, although you know. It's, not like a big exposure kind of you know film the feedback we are getting so far has been has been pretty pretty positive and i i know there's gonna be negative stuff coming in but uh, i'm really glad that the people with the positive stuff they're saying is like i'm sitting here taking it back on like yes that is what i was aiming for thank you awesome i know i feel good that i told the right story you know and does it feel somewhat cathartic though like do you have a sense of release in in a certain sense i know you can never be away from it but it seems that to be compelled to tell that side, that sort of a story that it it kind of weighed upon you for a while. But is there some kind of release in doing that? Yeah, uh, it's it's def definitely a sense of relief, another sense of sadness. You know, you, you can't help but think about why the story has to get told. Um, but it, it is a, it is a sense of relief 
I think though, just for me, it just comes back down to this is hopefully this should help, uh, people. Um, however many, I guess we'll, we'll just be determined, uh, through history, but I'm hoping it helps quite a few people, um, make, make choices that, that, uh, don't, um, end up with them taking their own lives. Uh, I hope that it, it helps push them to get a, a positive creative outlet. Um, and I, I, I see a lot more veterans doing that and I, I love seeing that, but it, you know, there's still, there's still, um, way too many that are on this, um, unacceptable pathway where they're doing, you know, the VA and whoever else is pumping them prescription drugs and it's turning them into zombies. And, um, you know, there's a lot of issues that go with it. This, and it's just, it's a, it's an unfortunate situation that I've really, uh, I have a big, big personal vested interest in, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> super important message to be getting across. It's especially in this day and age with how everybody gets so lost in the shuffle with, of how frenetic everything is. I think it's going to gain a lot more steam than you're giving it credit for. I saw that Vice Sports picked it up, and that's kind of a pretty big thing, sir. You know, I think you guys are on the right track. And it's, again, kudos yeah, to you. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. That's a, bit, that's a big deal. I appreciate your humility. But, I mean, how you know better than that, I guess, at this point. I mean, everything you've tried to do, you I mean, you've accomplished, so why not think that way? Uh, thank you. Well, Jan, uh, I do want to go ahead and start getting to the close of this, but before I do, I want people to get uh, to know a little bit about you. So in terms of your character and where they can see you and that sort of stuff, so now you've said it's transitioned more toward you being yourself and being uh, more in that realm. Describe where you're wrestling at and wh- where people can see you. Um, right now I'm routinely wrestling uh, with. Um total championship wrestling in Texas. Uh, I'll be doing some stuff back in Cali at the end of the year. We're just kind of final. Oh, I'm sorry, not the end of the year, in the middle of the year. I'm just trying to finalize stuff before we can announce it. Um, but as far as the, uh, the character goes, um, you know, the, as I mentioned earlier in the interview, the, the one that I just never, I can never buy into is just this, the stereotype red, white, and blue, um, military persona. Uh, like the good good days of Sergeant Slaughter or G.I. Joe or what sure. have you. My, I am very much like a, uh, um, a Kurt Angle meets like Edge and Christian um, character. I, I very much like the fun. Um, I personally like to do the heel stuff more than the face. But unfortunately, when you throw the veteran card out there, like a lot of places are just like, no, we can't make the veteran the heel. Like yeah. you have to be. Yeah, you can't. You can never go full full Sergeant Slaughter ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, you know, I just go out there. It's, it's, it's. I have a lot of fun. I'm very. Uh, I don't do the high flying stuff anymore. I only do the the moon salt um, every now and then. The four fifties and the shooting stars are all retired. My body can't uh, roll with that anymore. So I switch to more of like a uh, strong style technical. Um, repertoire and it works it works for me it keeps me limber so it also seems to be the style um, right now yeah. it seems to be that yeah. more and more people are, are are going that way uh they want to see those lines blurred a little bit more and more it's just kind of the direction i think people seem to be uh good with going i have a question yeah I'm interested. I, I would agree with that 
Why the why the I'm Balor kidding. Club ta- why the Balor Club take on the shirt and not the you know the cliche Bullet Club approach? I thought that was kind of cool that it was kind of a nod to the other side with the bullets under the name of the Valhalla Club. So the the reason I went that route is was because there was um there was I see the the parody uh, club shirts the from the, the young buck ones like all over the place and it, it's good don't get me wrong um, but I um, I'm friends with Carl Anderson uh, we go back back when he was NWA tag champ with Joey like he would we would work each other on stuff so. Um, you know, when he and Gallows and Balor did that, when they started uh, all of that, um, I just liked that style a lot. And then transitioning it more towards what I wanted to do, uh, you know, Balor's got the slashes, and I was like, well, we can just replace that bullets. There's a military tie-in right there. And it just seemed to be a natural um, a natural way to parody it, but it's the tip of the hat. And I kind of, I don't know if I'd talk about this in the documentary, but I've said it before in interviews, like the, the Valhalla Club, like it's a we went with Valhalla club because it's a, it's a very big tip of the hat to Balor and the bullet club. Cause what they've done for indie wrestling in the past 15 years is just crazy positive, in my opinion. Um, and I felt it was a good way to show credit to the military and what they've been through, but also uh tip of the hat to people who have made pro wrestling brought it onto new levels, uh, in the past decade or so. And that, that was, that was bullet club in my opinion. Awesome. I dig that. All right. Well, let's do this. I want to make sure that people know where they can go ahead and get this. I believe right now it is on Vimo. Is that what we call it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. here we go again with that. Vimeo. You knew you, knew you were going to round me up with that. So it's on there. You guys can find it. I believe uh, it is under Scars and Stripes. If you don't see it under the documentary name itself, it is the Valhalla Club. It is... 40 minutes of getting to know these gentlemen way better and more importantly uh, understanding maybe a different perspective on the world for those who go to fight for our country and then come back to just try and do something that just happens to be pro wrestling I mean you can do a lot of different things but nothing says coming home like getting slapped in the chest for a living I think that's essentially uh, if you're going to go ahead and take that that tagline you're more than welcome to uh but i just i know that it's one of the things that i i i feel so happy about you guys is that you were able to uh tell the stories to one another on this documentary uh work through it and and you found a group and i think that's amazing you know we talk about clicks in professional wrestling as your homies or your guys who are your your factions if you would but you guys are a real life faction and you have you've gone through a lot and i think it's good to have that faction for that very purpose so uh kudos for you to for getting this together my man it's amazing and it's great um what else can people do so are where are you looking to get booked man because you you teased the california and you know my ears perked up because I was thinking such a letdown when you said Canon now. So I was just, does oh, does that mean that it's the southern part of California? <laughs> I mean, I can't ask you to be direct about it. Fishing. Um, I, I can tell you, yeah, you know, the training routes are in Southern California. That's nine times out of ten, that's where I go when I go to California. So I'm Southern California. We'll tell you what, let us know where and when 
And maybe we'll make an announcement on our show if we'll be there or not. I can't release that information yet either. So there's that. <laughs> fair. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> Jan, uh, where can people follow you if they're looking to follow you, sir? You can follow me. Um, the best way to follow me on Facebook right now is just go to the Valhalla Club documentary page. Um, that's probably uh, for the wrestling stuff. That's where my stuff gets put out. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, um, you can follow me at scars and stripes LLC. Uh, cause that's my, my t-shirt stuff and my veteran outreach stuff that I do. Um, that's, that's probably the two best ways you can see what's going on. I post quite a bit of stuff there. I dig it. Um, sir, you're amazingly great to talk to. I would love to get you back on uh, at a time in the future to, uh, talk a little bit more about matches, uh, stuff obviously that's way more fun in nature, but yeah, and punk rock. Well, I mean, Mike had an issue, nice. which was Mike went through your favorites on your YouTube, and there does seem to be an overlap of punk rock. Uh, specifically, once I saw that you had Bad Religion uh, as a number of songs that you were there, I was like, oh man, you and Mike are already friends. <laughs> Uh, well, I didn't know you could see that. Uh, <laughs> that's news to me. But yeah, yeah, no, bad, better, better, Lid is my all-time favorite band. So. Oh, I, I learned a lot about you in a very short amount of time. Um, maybe this is a time to start teaching you about YouTube uh, controls. <laughs> but when you favorite something, it does put it into a group. You can change those settings. It just happened to be one thing that I was like, these are his favorites. And you had one that's kind of like under cardio and like a playlist for cardio. And then I was like, damn, son, I'm getting pumped on some of these because I've listened to some of these. I've trained to some of these uh, either songs or like inspirational super cuts. Do you savvy, Those are good, the, right? Those are really do good. you savvy the acoustic guitar lately, sir? There's a lot of I'm sorry. acoustic guitar jams on there showing me how to play I want to conquer the world on a traditional style. the uh yeah I just I do the acoustic ones to try to try to calm the mind down sometimes, good. It works, sometimes it doesn't no I just <laughs> well that was the reason why I was gonna say when you were asking you're like it's a pretty good list right I was like you know especially when you're getting pumped to some of those uh those things and it just made me immediately see when there's something that says like cardio and pump up kind of feel that I was like I neither want to lift with you uh roll with you or be in a ring with you. So I have I have established that just based <laughs> off of how intense your super cuts are, sir. Yeah, but don't you want to pump up the jam with them? Come on, dude. That's oh, I the mean, whole point. That's, it's a little different. I mean, you know what the nice part is? Were, was Eddie, and you can tell me this is wrong, was Eddie telling me, I mean, I know you, you did the combatives, but are you doing jujitsu? I, I do it casually. Uh, there, there's an MMA place uh, out here that does the whole shebang they have a couple uh uh fighters i uh, well, actually one of their fighters Haley cowman is undefeated right now nice. um and uh i love jujitsu it's great i just don't do it as much as i would so i just i just say i just do it casually i'm I'm not i'm nowhere near like uh respectable but i like i like doing it i love the workout i love the working through the holes and stuff it's awesome i mean let me just put this in your head there's a little aspect of jujitsu i've branded it's called wwe bjj and it is uh, specified to come up with pro wrestling finishes, but in the realm of doing it through jujitsu. 
And uh, Eddie saw a couple of the transitions. He was like, oh, shit, did you hit a sharpshooter like that? And I was like, yeah, from, like, essentially single leg uh, uh, X. And he was just like, oh, shit, that's awesome, dude. He's like, I've got one. And I was just like, okay. When you are nerding out as much as you do as we would about pro wrestling, uh, don't be surprised if you can pull off a, a number of those moves. And you're far stronger than I am, so I'm just letting you know. It's yeah, a good goal to have. You shouldn't. You should have known that before. You formally asked him, uh, "Do you even jujitsu, bro?" <laughs> That's again, Mike. You're you're showing your your stars and your stripes as well, sir. Anyway, I just want to thank you so much, uh, Jan. We we cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. Um, we look forward to hearing you uh, talk more and more about this and and seeing more and more people see this documentary. And uh, you know, guys, please go follow him. Please give them a look. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. So on behalf of all of us here at Heel Section, thank you guys for tuning in today. One tweet, mate.